for the next three weeks, starting today. We're in a series called Out of the Cave. And why would I um, uh, lead us into a series like this? Well, I think this is what our city needs. After um, 18 months of COVID and all kinds of things, listen, before COVID even happened, I, I was rattled by some of these st- stats, and I knew the church needed to do something about it. Depression is the number one, um, the world's number one health problem. <laughs> it, 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 it actually causes more deaths than cancer. It leads to more deaths than cancer. Um, it, it's the leading cause of disability. One out of nine of us in here or all throughout, you, you know, uh, 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 the city we live in, one out of nine are taking antidepressants to deal with this. In fact, one out of five have taken antidepressants if they're not already taking it. Then COVID comes, and in March of 2020, changes everything. Um, in 2020, antidepressants went up by 300%, 300%. And then um, mental health hotlines went up by 900%. Trying to make sense of 2020 and my job, and what does it mean for my family? What does it mean for my future? And what does it mean for our finances? And what, what does it mean for my health? What does it mean for my parents? And what does it mean for my grandparents? And what does it mean? And CDC says that one out of four under 30 years old considered suicide last year. A quarter of people under 30 years old considered suicide last year, and 10% of us for the rest of the age demographics. And I I just believe that the world, this is not the world's problem to try to tackle. We live in the world, and, and, and we are spiritual beings on a temporary physical experience, not the other way around. We are not physical beings who every once in a while have a temporary spiritual encounter. We are spiritual beings. Our spirit will last much longer than our physical being will. And I believe that the church has to bring some hope to this. And did you know the Bible speaks life and direction to this? And so for the next three weeks, um, we're going to speak life to this. We're going to bring hope for this. In fact, seasonally, I have heard that September begins the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the pivotal time when substance abuse begins to go up. Substance abuse in all areas tends to be more, more, more drugs, more alcohol, uh, uh, more gaming, more disconnection, more isolation. And um, uh, when I learned that uh, why Comico goes purple is all about substance abuse, I said, I'm going to get my purple on. And we got purple bracelets um, outside in the lobby that you can grab one and you can support why Comico goes purple, which... Uh, yeah, which, which just um, supports substance abuse awareness. It's, there's also some pamphlets out there, how you can find help and how you can um, um, take this thing in even further. But we can't, as a church, get our praise on and just ignore that some of us are struggling in the house and a lot of people out of the house are struggling there looking for hope. And so I want Lift Church to be a place of hope. Is that fine by you? I think that's what the church is supposed to be, a beacon of hope in a world that is convincingly or or continually lost and keeps getting even more lost, it seems like. And so, hey, listen, I want to say this. I am not a clinical expert. 
I took uh, one psychology course in, 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 at LSU, and then I, uh, when working on my master's in theological degree, I, I also took a counseling course, and they helped me a ton, but I am nowhere close to a medical expert, so I am going to lean on a lot of advice from people who have done their studies or people who have, are in the medical field and believers of Jesus Christ, and clearly in three weeks, just three 30-minute messages, I can't cover uh, this topic exhaustively, so I want to, as usual, recommend a book. If you want to go further, we have gotten this book that I have been reading and studying by Chris Hodges, a highly respected lead pastor who has done his homework. He has uh, dealt with bouts of depression himself. He's done his homework, his clinical homework, his medical homework, as well as his theological homework, and it's all in this book, and I'm going to teach a lot from this book, this series. Um, We bought a number of them in advance at the same price that you can get it for Amazon. You could get it in our resource center before you leave, and if you say, Pastor Drew, I'm desperate, but I don't have 14 bucks, then just tell our resource center, I'm going to take one and it's on the house, okay? You get the help you need, all right? Just take one of these books. If you need it and you can't provide, just say, hey, I'm just going to take one. Pastor said so, all right? And we got you, all right? Sound like a deal? All right. Sound like a deal? Okay. One of the reasons he wrote this book, if you start to read it, affected me too. And he references about two years ago, a headline hit the paper, hit social media, hit Twitter, hit Instagram, and said, pastor commits suicide. This kind of rattled me more than normal, rattled my wife and I more than normal, because my wife and I knew this pastor. You see, every, uh, about every year, my wife and I, um, uh, we, we, our church partners with ARC, the Association of Related Churches, one of the main things that they do is they launch new churches. Do you know that uh, at the end of this year, we will have launched a thousand churches together all throughout ARC's history? We are uh, ARC launch number 818. And we launched back in 2019, and we have helped launch every church since, every time that you give. And, and, and one of the things that they did is they've asked us to come coach. And, and when we come coach, they said, we want to invest. You're investing in our future planners. We want to make sure that you are healthy. And so they sat us down with a pastor who, who, who specialized in soul care. And, and, and he just began to reach into the, uh, the three of us couples who were coaching, the 18 couples who were there. And he, he leaned in, and, and, and we, we had some conversations, and we remembered it being uh, 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 um, something of great awareness. And then just a few months later, I read, Pastor commits suicide. It was him. It was him. How does someone who pays attention to soul care, who loves the Lord, it's just evident that people inside the church are struggling, y'all. We, we can act like it's no big deal, and we can try to say that maybe you just need to have more faith. And so let me, let me as I get into this Out of the Cave series, let me throw out two qualifiers. I'm going to go in backwards order of my notes, and that is this, that there is a real stigma in the church around this topic. When people start saying mental health, people start thinking, uh, you must be a lesser than Christian or a lesser than person. How come you just don't have enough faith? You must not be praying enough. Well, let me ask you all a question. Pastor JT, he wears glasses because his eyes need 
a little bit of correction. Do you walk around the church telling anybody wearing glasses that you must not have enough faith? Guys, the mind is just as much a part of the body as the eyes are. And, and, and we've got to stop calling people out or, or putting people in social categories because this might be their thorn in the flesh. Uh, the Apostle Paul even said one time that, hey, bro, I, I got a thorn in the flesh. I've asked God to take it away. And I bet if you talk to anybody who struggles with mental health, they are going to tell you, I have prayed it away, <laughs> pastor. I'm still walking through it, right? And so we need to realize, listen, did you know I actually have a torn meniscus right now? But nobody believes that I have a lack of faith, do you? I've asked God to heal it, but, but it is where it is. And, and, and what the uh, uh, Bible says that uh, Apostle Paul says is God's answer to the thorn in the flesh is my grace will be sufficient enough for you. In other words, some things we're going to walk along with, and, and I'll, I'll, I'll get into that, but we, we got to, in fact, you should write this down. My illness is not my identity. My illness is not my identity. If you are suffering with it, you need to know that in your soul. And if you are not suffering with it, no one would walk up, um, no one mature enough, wise enough, would walk up to JT, call him names, or, or isn't that like middle school stuff? So, so we, too, have to be mindful of one another that these people who might be struggling with it are not asking for it. This is just something, they're, they're, uh, uh, what they're struggling with. No, the second qualifier is this. There are, genetical, uh, there are genetic and biological reasons for depression. Now, some of that stuff, while it is there and while there is uh, little control you have over that, whether it comes to your door or not, uh, one thing is sure that they are actually finding in research that there are at least six different things you can do to keep depression from your door or to get depression out of your life. And so there are, while there might be some things out of your control, there are a lot of things that are in our control. And so that's what I hope to bring to you today. They're actually in the Bible, and then they're backed up by modern science. And so I love when God does that. People, psychologists today are going, hey, did you know this? And people are going, we've been saying that a long time ago. <laughs> the Bible has spoken to that a long time ago. Remember that book that you like wrote off and you said can't help you? It said that a long time before you arrived. <laughs> okay, anyway. So let, let's get into this a little bit. Um, what does the Bible say? about this type of in the cave experience well galatians 5 1 says it is for freedom that christ set us free in other words christ died on the cross to give you and i freedom god wants you well god wants you free god wants you free indeed and, and so god does not enjoy seeing you struggle this is not God's purpose for you. Some might say, well, this is just my lot in life. Well, you might have a different thorn in your flesh, but I still believe that God wants everybody to know him, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this life. And so God can help you walk into measures of freedom. You need to believe for it. Don't just write it off. Don't just, well, this is how it's always going to be. Listen, 
There are certain things in my life that while it might stick with me, I am going to pray that thing off until it is gone. And sometimes we don't just pray it away, we pray through it all. And so never, never lose that hope in you. Second, there is an entire book on depression written in our Bibles. My wife referenced it in flow. We, we, we didn't talk ahead of time. I think she read the exact same scripture. There is a book called Lamentations. <laughs> and guess what? It was written by a prophet. Prophets, man of God, close to God. And yet he wrote a whole book called Lamentations. And in Lamentations chapter 3, the prophet Jeremiah said, I have been deprived of peace. Sound familiar to some people? I have forgotten what prosperity is. In other words, nothing's working anymore. Like as I look through life, there's not much color. There's not much taste. Nothing seems to be working anymore. So, so I say my splendor is gone and all that I have hoped for from the Lord. Come on, that hope in the Lord when that starts fainting. Isn't that a dark place? He says, I remember my afflictions and my wanderings, the bitterness and the gall. I, in fact, I well remember it. I probably remember it too well. It's probably on my mind too much. It, and my soul is downcast within me. Guys, if you feel or resonate with any of these thoughts, can I tell you too, a great prophet of God felt this way too? Daniel wrote about, uh, I'm sorry, King David wrote about seasons of his life where he felt despairing of life as well. Flip to the New Testament. The great apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, shared, exposed his thoughts from time to time. 2 Corinthians 1.8 says this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia we were under great pressure. It's easy to just think, oh, those were circumstantial problems. They were people problems. Guess what? People problems start turning into mental problems. When's the last time someone said something about you and it turned into a mental problem? And you sit on it and you stew on it and you chew on it. And we just think, oh, we'll get out of Asia. But sometimes the Asia wants to stay in me. <laughs> it's still haunting me. And we were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Translation, suicide started becoming an option. I wondered what was the meaning of life. But that was only momentary for Paul. Because Paul has such amazing victories, and he also describes the thorn in the flesh. So let me get into the one that's going to matter the most for us in this series. Um, I'm going to uh, uh, share, let's look at Elijah. If you've got your Bible, go to 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. He is recorded, Elijah is recorded and documented by Jesus as probably one of the greatest prophets in all of the Bible. In fact, when Jesus brings um, a few of his disciples up to the Mount of Transfiguration and heaven allows two different people to appear, guess who's one of them? Elijah. When Jesus often asks people, who do you say I am? People frequently mistook him for, are you Elijah? Elijah was such a powerful man of God, and we're about to see in 1 Kings 19 um, what he went through. But before he got there in, verse eight, in chapter 18... He actually had a showdown 
with 850 false god prophets. 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, two different false gods. That's the next series we're going into, false gods. I pray the next experience my voice doesn't pop like that, but I'm going to keep on rolling anyway. He's actually part of ushering in a three-year drought because God's people weren't paying attention to him anymore, and they were serving false gods. And so God hears Elijah withholds rain for three years. There's a drought. Asherah prophets, Baal prophets everywhere. So he shows up and he says, Get out. I'm the only prophet of God left. Get out all of your prophets. Let's have a showdown. They said, set up your wood, and whichever one heaven lights on fire, that's the real God. Get behind him. Well, 450 prophets of Baal go dancing around and cutting themselves. Some people deal with emotional uh, 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 health problems by cutting themselves or substance abuse. They, they, they start a lot of these tactics, and, and, and Elijah says, where's your God? Why isn't he answering? How come cutting yourself's not working? How come bleeding all over the altar is not working? Why isn't that working? And then finally he says, I'll show you who God is, but before I do, even though it's a drought, go get pitchers of water and throw it on top of my wood 12 times. That's a bold statement. You ever tried to light a fire? I am not one of those handymen who like knows how to light a fire like that. Come on, when someone's like, hey, let's have a campfire. I'm like, that's a good idea. And I don't offer my services. <laughs> I'll get the wood. They're going to start the fire. Because I don't see any of those fire starting logs my parents had. Those brick things that look like sawdust. And all you do is light that thing and everything works. And I don't have no newspaper, so you're not going to see me going, oh, I know how to do this. Two sticks together, and then, and I'm just like, I'm good. Yeah, you're doing a great job. That's when I become the encourager. You're doing so good. I think I saw smoke. Come on, keep going. You're so close. Keep going. Last thing I would do is try to burn wet wood, and heaven shows up and lights it on fire. And then the drought gets ended, and then it says in... 1 Kings 19, it says, it says, now Ahab, the king at the time, told his wife Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So that ticked Jezebel off. And so Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah. Guys, it was, an, it was a social media comment. It was, the, it was the equivalent of a text that caused Elijah to go in a tailspin that would tank him for the next season of his life. Just a text, not even a real hitman. A message, I'm going to kill you. You're going to die. Meet me in the parking lot. I don't want to meet him in the parking lot. <laughs> I'll meet you in the parking lot. I don't want to meet him in the parking lot. Why is everybody talking about me? Why is everybody saying things about me? sent a messenger to Elijah and said, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely through her teeth. If by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that one of them. Then Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. Guys, does this make any sense? Heaven just showed up with lightning bolts on wet wood and, and took out 450 of the false god prophets. Why would one message, one text, one comment on your post begin to tank a man of God like this? 
He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. That's not a very wise move. And so while he, was, while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness by himself, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. I don't think I can handle it anymore. Take my life. I am no better than any of my ancestors. Real quickly, I don't have much time to get exhaustive on this, but you can read a lot more and see scientific proof if you grab a copy of this book that I am throwing around. Since I'm throwing it around, why don't I just throw it around? That's yours. You keep that, my friend. Come on, get, get, get one at, on your way out. How we end up in the cave, I want to share with you six ways we end up in the cave. Next week, we have one of our um, overseer's wives come in to share. She does a phenomenal job on emotional health. You're going to want to invite your friends. You don't want to miss Pastor Irene Rollins is going to be in the pulpit. And I'm telling you, I've heard this message. It spoke so much life to me that I said, whenever you're available, I need you you to come to live church and sow that into our people because Salisbury needs this message. So make sure you come, take good notes, and then on the third week, I will share with you solutions and life-giving of being out in a cave. But first, how do we put ourselves in it? This is a little bit of some warnings. Number one, how we end up in the cave. One of the things we do is life imbalances. Life imbalances. Elijah, uh, Elijah was actually coming off of a peak high, like an emotional big time high. And then all of a sudden, one text takes him to an emotional low. And sometimes our life can be out of balance that we are causing some of our own cave uh, uh, um, causes. That, that you know, it, it reminds me of April of 2020. March is when everybody started shutting us down, right? In April of 2020, everybody's trying to correct. There was an abrupt change of my schedule. There was Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting after Zoom meeting. Most of those Zoom meetings were actually by leaders who were trying to inform me and educate me. But do you know I was getting information overload? And I felt like I need to be on the next Zoom meeting, but I don't want to be on another Zoom meeting. I'm, I, don't, I don't even know. Everything's breaking down. They're, they're, everyone had an opinion on what we should do. I'm trying to manage information, opinions. My wife and I just decided one of our coping mechanisms Forget it all. We're watching Netflix late at night every single night. We're baking cookies. This is a really bad habit to get in. But seven nights out of a week because you know what? I can wake up late and I can do the same work just later in the schedule. Let's just take it into the deep midnight hours. No one's going to know. Cookies. Who's making cookies tonight? Don't even act like it was just me. Such a change of pace. You know what? It caused a slump. It caused anxiety. It caused worry. It caused concerns that were not normally there in me. And the source of the slump wasn't my emotions. The source of the slump was my emotions saying, your life is all out of balance right now. Your schedule is abruptly changed. You can no longer go play weekly soccer. And all you're doing is eating cookies. And staying up going, we can watch one more. Let's just watch one more. Act like all this doesn't exist. 
I got to get one more Zoom meeting, and it was just my life was out of balance. Actually, the latest research on depression says we shouldn't focus on chemical imbalances as much, and we should focus more on lifestyles we're living. Here's what one person said. Uh, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoors, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzied pace of modern life. And isn't that so true? And we wonder, how, do, how come I'm not feeling the greatest? <laughs> well, I, this much I know, when I stay up late and when I am tired, I have no motivation to work out the next day. When I don't have a motivation to work out, I've got terrible feelings about my body. I start comparing. I start feeling like crap. I start getting down. I start judging. I start neglecting. I start comparing. And, 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 and then I start getting despairing thoughts. But it's not because of anything other than my life's out of balance. Go to sleep. <laughs> Go to sleep. Like... Too much social media, too much news, too much caffeine, not enough sleep, not enough healthy foods, not enough purpose. Ecclesiastes 4, 6 says this, better one handful with tranquility and peace than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We oftentimes think two is better than one. Two dollars is better than one. Two donuts are better than one. Two wives are better than, oh, come on. I'm just trying to see who's listening. <laughs> you know that ain't true. You know that ain't true. Then why are we always going, one more, one more, one more? Number two, comparing ourselves with others. Elijah says something weird at the end of his prayer. He says, take my life. I'm no better than any of my ancestors. What? What does that have to do with anything? It's actually a bizarre statement, except the fact that you're comparing yourself to other people. And this is where I think social media is killing so many of us. Our time on social media goes up, and our depression comes up too. Our anxiety goes up too. Because I'm comparing, they got this, they went there, they have that, they married that, they're doing this, I'm behind, I never have enough, why me, why me, why me? Guys, one of my habits, if you ever wondered why I am no good at social media, it's because I'm intentionally not very good at social media. Because I don't need to be on there comparing myself to others. I need to be walking out the destiny God's called me to. Come on. Sometimes I don't need to know what you're eating. That's information overload. Sometimes I don't need to know what the news has to say. One more news cycle. Sometimes I need to just do me and be good with me. And so I, I, I rarely get on social media on Sunday afternoons. Why? Because I'll start picking apart my own sermon over and over and over again. And then I'll be like, man, it was so awesome. We baptized 13 people today. It was an amazing morning. And then I get on media, social media and I'm like, they baptized 53 people. We stink. I'm a bad leader. What am I doing wrong? That's me and my profession. What about you and your profession? What about you and your walk, your friends, your circles? We do it. We do it to ourselves. Theodore Roosevelt said, comparison is the thief of joy. Galatians 6 says this, each one should test their own actions. 
then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else for each one should carry their own load. Number three, stewing and chewing. Stewing and chewing. Elijah is, uh, later says that I'm the only prophet left. I'm the only one doing good. God, where are you? Why aren't you showing up? Well, he was ruminating. In other words, to stew and to chew is to do what the cows do. They chew up something, swallow it down, then they regurgitate it back up. It's back in their mouth. And they start chewing on that junk again. They swallow it down, and then they pop that junk back up. <laughs> Chew it some more. Oh, it's getting lovely every time it comes up, doesn't it? And neither do your thoughts. Again, there comes a point after I've preached a message to go, I'm comparing myself against perfection. I believe God did great things. I'm going to have to lay this down at this moment. Like, I cannot sit there and chew on. They said, what? Okay, I'm going <laughs> to talk to some people about what they said, and I can't believe my spouse said this, and my kids think this, and all this. Let it go. Watch the show. Do they really think that about me? I don't even know if I You know, it just keeps coming up. And it keeps coming up and it doesn't get any better. It's called ruminating. It's called stewing and chewing. The devil loves it when you talk to yourself like this. Because he's got you all jacked up and locked up like Elijah, who just did something amazing. Now he's running for his life saying, my life's worthless. See, Brian Tracy actually said this. 95% of your emotions are determined by the way you talk to yourself. 95% are determined by the way you talk to yourself. Some of us need to get that boldness of, uh, we bought a zoo, five seconds of courageous courage or something like that. I don't know, you know. And then talk to yourself well. Okay, anyway. Maybe that's just my family's thing. Number four, the inability to process pain in a healthy way. Elijah had no reason to doubt God because of just one threat after God did amazing things. And so many times we think that we have wrong expectations of God and how he should treat me while I am on earth. Jesus himself said, it rains on the just and the unjust. Uh, um, it, the Bible says, in this world, you will have trouble. Some say, Pastor, would you be more positive? I'm positive you will have trouble in this world. It's a guarantee. It doesn't mean that because I'm Christian, I'm invincible. It means my meniscus tore too. Yeah, it, it, it means I, I, I am suffering in my mind too. And, and, and we've got to realize that not everything needs to be uh, blamed on God. We do live in a fallen world, you know. That's why we shouldn't long so much for the world, but we should long for heaven where there's no more pain, no more suffering, no more tears, right? We get so caught up in God, make this world great, make this world great, make this world great when we should be saying, God, I can't wait to get to you. I can't wait to get to you. Come on. That's good. You can clap for that. That's good. So we turn to games, alcohol, drugs, TV binging. In the pandemic, drug addiction went up by 18% in the first month, went up by 29% in April, and then it went up in 42% in May because we're looking for pleasure instead of purpose. 
There's purpose in your pain. 2 Corinthians says God comforts us when we are in our troubles so that we can comfort those who are in trouble and, and with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. Tell somebody there's purpose in your pain. Number five, isolation and loneliness. Elijah left his servant there and wandered into the wilderness by himself. That's not a smart move. You don't wander into isolation when you are already struggling with your own thoughts. This is the most common move. I withdraw. I isolate. Do you know the first problem in the Bible wasn't sin? The first problem in the Bible was solitude. God said it is not good for him to be alone. We, we, we so oftentimes withdraw and say, I don't have the motivation to be with other people. And I get it, but sometimes we have to say, this is one of the things I can control. This is one of the things that I need to be mindful. Uh, that everyone, everything feels heavier when we are alone. This is why today's small group Sunday. Find a small group and join it. You might say, that is a big, bold move for me. That's okay. Push the submit button. Say, I'm in. Don't know if this is going to be great or not. It's only 13 more weeks, but connect with other people. Get out of isolation. I want to commend those who are in person for being here today because you know you can't do this thing alone. Like we need one another. We sometimes need to look and see each other that, you know what, you're struggling with that too. So am I. And you could do that to an extent over social media. You could do that to an extent. But actually stats are saying that social media is making us far less social than we used to be. We don't know how to connect face-to-face anymore. All we do is hide behind our screens. Romans 12, 5 says, Since we are all one body in Christ, we belong to each other, and each of us needs all the others. We need you. Look at your neighbor across the aisle and say, We need you. Number six, spiritual warfare. I can't spend long because I've already gone over, but let me just say this. If someone told, if I got secret knowledge, if I got secret information and found out someone's got the keys to your house, they have the alarm codes, they know how to get in. Tonight's the night. They're coming to take everything. They're going to take your kids. They're coming. If you had that information, what would you be willing to do tonight in preparation for tomorrow? You take some measures, wouldn't you? You do know that we have a devil who is roaring like a lion, prowling to attack each and every one of us. And we got to be in spiritual warfare. We got to be praying. First Peter 5 says this, be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Resist him and stand firm in the faith. Some of you might go, I don't believe in the devil. That doesn't make him not real. The devil wants to take you out. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy. What are you willing to do? How do you do that? Ephesians 6, 11 says, put on the full armor of God so that you could take your stand against the devil's schemes and hold your own against this attack. Come on. God has given us the authority, but will you use it? God will equip us. Will you use it? Come on, I want to pray over everybody today. God, I'm so grateful for 
everybody under the sound of my voice in person and online. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is hovering over them right now. And Father, I pray for the ones who are struggling or say, Pastor, this hits really close to home. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray fresh air, the breath of God over you, the Spirit of God comes closer than a brother, be near you, inside you, give you the overcoming Spirit of God. The same Spirit that resided in Jesus when he asked his disciples, stay with me for my spirit is crushed right now. That same spirit helped him overcome every bit of mental anguish, physical anguish, circumstantial anguish. Father, I pray that same spirit flood your people in Jesus' mighty name. Inject us with hope because you are a good God aware of the situation and there are solutions found in you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And if you're here with your head bowed and eye closed, one last prayer before anybody moves around. Say, Pastor Drew, I need to get closer to God. I, in fact, I need to give my life to him. I've been trying to do it on my own. It's not working. Pastor Drew, before you leave, will you pray for me? I want to give my life to God. With no, head, uh, no one looking around, every head bowed, every eye closed, just between you, me, and really God, more importantly, God, would you raise your hand up high? I'm not going to ask you to come down, and I'm not going to embarrass you, but will you raise your hand high so that God sees you and say, this is the day. I'm giving you my life. Yes, yes. I thank you so much. I see, I see hands. You can put those down. Thank you, thank you. Anyone online, just write in the chat. That's me. Include me. Father, these are your people. Thank you that you offer forgiveness of sin. Come on, church. Together with everyone who raised their hand, let's repeat out loud and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I've made so many mistakes, and I ask you to forgive me. Sorry for the way they hurt you. I want you to come live in my life. I want to go your way. Jesus, you're my Lord and Savior, and I will follow you. In Jesus' name I pray. And everyone said, amen and amen.